continuing and moving into the book of Numbers this morning. Um, we read Numbers 11 through 30 this week, and so this morning we're primarily going to be in chapters 13 and 14. So let me pray one more time, and then we're going to talk about courageous faith this morning. Courageous faith. Well, Lord, we've, um, God, thank you for your presence already in this room this morning. Jesus, thank you for truth that we can sing, God, that we can grab hold of in our hearts and minds. Lord, thank you for the tangible reminder as, as we put that bread in our mouth, as we take that cup to our lips, God, that tangible reminder of you as our savior. And, and Lord, I, I know and believe with all of my heart, God, that, that you work on behalf of people to redeem, to heal, and to bring victory and freedom. And God, you invite us into that process. God, you do a massive amount of the heavy lifting that we can never do on our own, and thank you for that. But Lord, you invite us to walk with you. You invite us to cooperate with you. And so Lord, I pray this morning that you would equip us to be people of faith. Not people who have to muster up something we don't have, but God, people who can bring the little bit that we do and trust you with it. God, remind us this morning that faith is not about how strong our faith is. Our faith is about the object of our faith and you are strong enough. And so we look to you, we trust you. God, would you help us to grow this morning? May this, this word sink deep into our heart. God, I, I pray more than words that I might say this morning. Lord, that the things that you wanna speak into our hearts, that we would grab them and that they would produce much fruit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so up to this, this point, we're picking up the story now where God's people, the children of Israel, they have been getting established. They have, they have escaped from Egypt. God brought them out through um, his might and his power, and then he parted the Red Sea. And so they've, they've moved into this area, just kind of, we're just vaguely calling it the wilderness. And so they're, they've been there now for a little over a year, and they're being established as a nation. And so they're being given laws to govern them. They're given some structure about how they can organize into different groups and tribes and, and family units. And so they're being established as a people. And so God's giving them laws to help them govern their interactions with one another. God's also establishing the grounds for how they can be in right relationship with him. And so he both prescribes ways they can walk with him and worship him. And when they get off track, when they get off course, how they can be made right and that relationship can be reconciled. And so this is all the ground that we've covered. We've watched them have some major ups and downs. God has provided miraculously for them in the wilderness. Um, he's taken care of food for them. Um, there's daily manna from heaven. He's given them meat a few different times. He's produced water when there seemed to be none, turning bitter water into sweet water, even having water come out of a rock. And so God has been their provider. And so for, for going on a year now, they have been in this wilderness. They have watched his miraculous provision. He's established them as a people. He's established a covenant relationship with them. And he's corrected some wrongs. 
They, they've had some failures and shortcomings along the way. And God has shown up in each of those instances, please hear this, with both consequences and merciful love. He has redeemed and restored them. But there have been consequences. I was talking with a couple guys this week over coffee and you know, in the midst of kind of reading through numbers and trying to wrap your head around everything God's showing us there, one thing is really clear. Um, God takes sin a lot more seriously than I do. And he sees it as a lot more deadly than I do. But the other thing that is really clear to me is that God believes in eternal life a lot more than I do. Because some of these repercussions even lead people to lose their lives. But remembering that he is working something eternal in us, that he is after the rescuing and redemption of our very souls for all eternity. And so God is working his purposes in their lives to reveal himself to them and to have them be a people that can reveal God's nature to all. God wants to bless the whole world through Israel. So here we are in the story. So this, this time up to this point has been necessary. They were always going to spend this amount of time in the wilderness. It was purposeful and necessary. It required faith on their part to endure during the course of that year. There were times where they had to choose to trust God. There were times that they had to look at him in hard circumstances and ask for help and mercy. It challenged their faith at times. They blew it. They fell short in their faith, and yet God gave them multiple chances. And so their faith was needed to endure this hard season in the wilderness. And the point of that was to build in them a sense of endurance, patience, and trust that whatever circumstance I am in, I can trust God. I can hold on to him, and he will be faithful, even when at times I'm unfaithful. He'll be faithful. So now on the cusp of entering the promised land, they're gonna have to go from just having this faith that has watched God provide and protect and do all these things up to this point. They're now gonna have to step out and begin to really engage. They're, they're gonna face some enemies. And so they are now about to need courageous faith to go to the place God's calling them to go. And so there's three specific things we're gonna see this morning that courageous faith does. Number one, Courageous faith faces reality. It faces reality. Faith does not deny reality. It faces reality. Courageous faith, secondly, sees opportunity. Where others see worry, fear, all kinds of things that could go wrong, courageous faith sees opportunity. And then number three, courageous faith trusts God for victory. Trust God for victory. Faces reality, sees opportunity, trust God for victory. Let's jump into this this morning. The first thing we see in Numbers chapter 13, verse one, is God says, it's time. Let's go. And here's what he says. Numbers 13, one. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man everyone a chief among them. Now, and I don't know how familiar you are with this story about these 12 guys going into the land and they're gonna bring back a report. And maybe you've heard this before. Maybe this is new to you. 
But one of the things that I realized in my adult life is that I didn't ever realize God told those 12 guys to go in there on purpose. Like I just always thought they were scared and went in and scouted things out and came back and then gave a scary report and that's why things fell apart. Like that was my childlike understanding when I was growing up in church. God told them, I want you to go see what is in front of you. Go face that reality. Go take a look at what you're about to encounter. But in him giving them that direction to go check it out, he said, this is the land I'm giving to the people of Israel. So he reminded them of his promise, but he said, go check it out. And so they picked 12 guys. And so the next several verses just kind of describe how these 12 different men were chosen from, from these tribes. Um, just of note, Joshua is in there. Joshua has slowly been becoming more and more Moses' right-hand man. And so Joshua is in there from the tribe of Ephraim and Caleb from the tribe of Judah are a part of this group of 12 men. And so now Moses has them selected and, and I want you to pay attention to how detailed this gets. He gives them some instructions about going into the land and spying it out. <coughs> Beginning now in verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. So first of all, just check it out. Check out the hills, the mountains, the flat land. Go near the coastline. We'll see they did that. Check, at, check it all out. Figure out the layout of the land. And whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. So, so see the enemy. Are they strong? Are they weak? Where do they live? Do they have fortified cities? And then really pay attention to the land itself. Is it good or bad? Whether the cities that they dwell in are in camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage. From the start, he says, we're gonna need courage just to look at the challenge that's in front of us. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So their mission was to accurately assess the situation in front of them. They were to map it out. They were to see the opportunities. What are the good things that lay in front of us if we go take this land? Also, discover the challenges. What are we gonna face? Have they built up walls? Are they just living in tents? Like, let's figure out what are the challenges we're gonna face. Listen, this, this can be so easily missed in our lives. When God is calling us to take new territory, it takes courage to even consider moving forward. Moses didn't wait and start talking about courage when it was time to pick up swords and shields and go fight. He said, the 12 of you are gonna go into an unknown land with unknown challenges and obstacles. And it's gonna require you to have a sense of courage to see past the challenges to recognize the opportunities that are in front of you. And so he encouraged them, be courageous. Now, what I love about this story that I think is so important as people of faith, faith has often been cast as something that's blind. 
Like we just are supposed to blindly put our faith in Jesus. We're supposed to blindly follow God's lead. That's not biblical. And it's not even what's happening in this specific story. It takes courageous faith to face reality. Let me take it all in. Let me assess everything that is in front of me. God does not call us to be people of denial. And yet I've battled that myself and I've watched others battle it. Facing a hard season and their solution to it is to say, well, I'm just having faith and everything is good and everything will be all right. And they're repeating a mantra like everything is fine when it's not, it's not fine. I'm sick. My relationship over here is damaged or in trouble. I'm facing a financial crisis that I don't see the way out. I've blown it and made a mistake and I see no way to recover from this. Faith is not denying the reality of our present circumstances. Faith is not about denying the reality of the trouble that can be in front of us. Faith is about courageously looking at what lies ahead and saying, God, help me see this with your eyes. Help me remember that you're going with me into that territory. God, help me know that that you are not only with me, you're for me, and that you are a God who calls me into victory. That's who he is. That's what he has for us. But it takes courageous faith to face reality. I believe with all my heart that many of us can find ourselves in stuck wilderness places and they end up lasting far longer than they're supposed to because we're just unwilling to face the reality of what's needed to step forward. I faced this in a very real and personal way. I finally began to come to terms about six or seven years ago with the fact that I've been battling depression for a while. So many of you have heard me share this. But one of the most pivotal moments for me was sitting in in an office with a counselor and he's just kind of starting to ask me some questions and where I'm at and what I'm looking for. And I just was like, this was all I could muster. I just said, dude, all I know is I feel like I'm drowning and I just need some air. Like if I could just get my head above the water a little bit and get some air, that'd be great. And he just, he looked at me very lovingly, but very firmly. And he was like, that ain't gonna do it. He said, if your sight is set that low that you just want air, that'll never be enough to overcome the obstacles needed. You've got to see past just the, the difficulty and the challenge. You've got to see good land that's ahead. You've got to be able to get a perspective that there is hope. There's something worth fighting for because this journey is going to be difficult. We, we've got to be willing to face reality. Get real about it. God, this is what's going on in my marriage right now. This is what's going on with my finances. Lord, this is this, this sin, this struggle that's eaten my lunch. God, here's just a new place you're calling me to and I'm terrified to go. Maybe you're stretching me out in my career in some way, whatever it is. God, that just looks scary and terrifying and it's just easier to kind of stay right here. Or am I willing to put on a set of lenses that have some courage and some faith to see things the way God sees them? And so the question is, when we move in to begin taking a look at what God, call, what God would call us into, the question becomes, what will we see? 
So step one is, will I have courageous enough faith to take a look? Step two, what will I see? Skipping down to verse 25 now, these guys come back with the report. And I want you to see this. I'm gonna kind of tell you ahead of time what we're gonna see. There was one report. I've often thought of this passage like there's two reports. There's the guys who said it's really scar hard and scary. And there's guys who said there's really good stuff. It was two different ports. No, there's one report. There was a shared message. And this is what the message was, verses 25 through 29. At the end of 40 days, can we just stop right there? They took their time. They took their time to honestly assess what was going on. Every place where there was a challenge, there was a potential pitfall, there was opportunity, they took it all in. 40 days, they, they took it in. And they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Here's some good news. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Those are giants. Those are the people we talked about back at the flood when we said there were giants in the land at the flood. This is them appearing again in the future. Verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. They gave a thorough report. They said, here's where they're all positioned. Here's where they're at. They've got fortified cities. There's giants in the land, and there's really good stuff. It's, it's a rich, full land flowing with milk and honey. Look at how huge these grapes are. Like, this is incredible. So the fruit is good, the land is good, the people are strong, the cities are fortified, here's the layout. That's the report. Now, already just at that report, we know there's a sense of nervousness building amongst the rest of the people because after this report, we then begin to see two perspectives. Same report, two perspectives. Caleb immediately steps in the very next verse. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb's perspective is we've got what it takes. We've got what it takes. We can face this enemy. The land is worth it. Let's go for it. There was already some, some murmuring coming in. And, and so he said that. But the other men, the very next verse then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. It could not be any more different. We are more than able, we are not able. For they are stronger than we, verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Is that accurate? Was all the people that they saw in it of great height? No, there were giants, but that wasn't everybody. 
And we saw the Nephilim, that's the same, same thing, the sons of Anak, those giants, who come from the Nephilim. And look at this. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Two different perspectives. Caleb's perspective, and we see in a minute that Joshua was in agreement with him. Caleb's perspective is there are giants, and it is fortified, and there's good stuff there, and we can do it. We have what it takes. We have more than what it takes. We're more than able to overcome. The other spies, their report, we're not able, and we seem like grasshoppers to ourselves and to them. One of these perspectives is based upon God's presence and God's promise. Caleb looked at the reality of the situation he was seeing and he brought his God into the equation. He remembered what Moses said when he sent them out. Be courageous and remember that God said, this is the land I'm giving you. And so Caleb was able to see the opportunity because he saw God in the midst of the difficulty they were gonna face. The other guys, not only did they miss God's presence and his promise, they had a completely skewed perspective. They began to bring in their own broken opinions and they made assumptions about the other people. They said, we looked like grasshoppers to ourselves and that's what we looked like to them. You hear that? They're defeated before they even start. Where Caleb and Joshua see opportunity, they just see the opposition. They see the false view of reality. Listen, I, I, I hope you hear this. And I hope you can watch for this in your own life when you're facing challenges. We have a, a choice to make when we have a real battle in front of us. And the choice is, will I look honestly at the situation and then ask God to give me his perspective on it? Or will I trust in my own wisdom, my own strength, my own past struggles and make that the final say. See, the reality is there had been a problem at root for a while. There had been this condition within his people to not trust him. The sheer number of miracles they saw in a year's time is more than I'll ever see in a lifetime. I guess I shouldn't say that. I should have the faith to believe I'll see some miraculous stuff, but... I haven't seen 10 plagues. I haven't seen the Red Sea part. Like, and then water's coming out. I mean, it was just unbelievable the way God continued to provide for them and the miraculous. But that's not where their eyes were. See, this isn't just about the report that the spies brought and the two perspectives. If you're anything like me, when you're facing a real challenge, you're gonna hear both. The thing that stopped them wasn't what these 12 guys had to say. The thing that stopped them is what came next. They had to weigh these two perspectives and decide, how am I gonna view this situation? What am I gonna believe? Am I gonna have courage to say, I see the opportunity and God is with me? 
Or am I gonna shrink back in fear and say, this is overwhelming odds, there's no chance. Which of these two perspectives am I gonna take? And so the people respond to the report at the beginning of Numbers chapter 14, verse one. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. This is no small thing. They are in despair over this report. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Not just, we don't want to go there. We're terrified to even be here. We wish we had just stayed put in Egypt where we were enslaved and they were killing our children. Let's go back there. That sounds great. Would that we have died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Whoa, whoa. In the face of these two perspectives, looking at these overwhelming challenges, they preferred to return back to Egypt or to die in the wilderness. That seems crazy, right? That seems like, surely I wouldn't do that. Surely I wouldn't do that. Surely I wouldn't have that view, that perspective. I've faced that. I've totally faced that. In fact, this is what Jesus is warning about. He tells the parable of the sower where he's sowing the seed on different soil. Some people miss it completely. They never even start the journey. Some people it lands and at first, like it's kind of on the rocks or whatever and it gets a little bit of rain and it kind of puts some roots down and it blossoms real quick. And then the sun comes out and scorches it. It gets hard. Life gets difficult and they're out, they get fried. Others, it's the thorny ground. And so it grows for a bit, but it's growing amongst the thorns. And there's so many distractions of the life around us that it's just easier to settle for a life that chokes out what God has for us, that chokes it out. The reality is if we're not careful, when we face these two perspectives, we can not only settle to stay where we are, we can pull back. We can withdraw from God and his presence and his promises and what he has for us and settle for just a mediocre life where the difficulties that we face choke us out. See, we can't really get away from them. That's the thing. Staying in the wilderness wasn't a good option. What's gonna happen there? They're gonna struggle. And ultimately, they're gonna die there. It's a wilderness. They can't go back to Egypt. What's gonna happen if they go back to Egypt? They're not even gonna get across the Red Sea before those guys bring revenge on them. We, we actually can't escape difficulty. It's a reality of life. But God calls us to look at the unknown, to look at the problems or the challenges we face, to look at our stuck places and see him there in the midst of it working on our behalf. 
this thing you're scared of, this thing you're struggling with, this difficult, I'm there. And, and he looks and he sees opportunity. It feels chaotic. It feels scary. It feels uncertain. But if we recognize his presence right there with us, it's possible. It's possible. And it becomes opportunity because he's working on our behalf. And so now we move into kind of this final, this final territory here. Courageous faith. It sees the opportunity and then it trusts God for the victory. It trusts God to bring about what we cannot on our own. Verse five. As the people have said all this, Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, they're about to respond now. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from the, them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They don't deny the existence of the difficulties in the land. They highlight who God is. He has good stuff for us on the other side of this challenge. And he is with us and for us. His presence is working on our behalf. He's gonna give us victory. Let's go for it. Sometimes we need somebody else to look at us in life as we're struggling and say, you can make it. Hold on. Go for it. Have some hope. Continue. I'm so grateful that I have had faithful friends in my life who've looked at me and said, dude, don't give up. Hang in there. Keep going. I might not have all the answers, but God is with you and he's for you. And he's got good stuff in store in the future. Hold on. I'm thankful for that. And there's still an opportunity right here in this moment after a lack of courage looking at the land, after missing the opportunity in front of them and being terrified and wanting to shrink back, a couple of faithful guys speak up and say, no, reject that way of thinking. Let's go forward. God is with us and for us. Let's go. And they had an opportunity to respond rightly one last time. So what happens, verse 10? Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to the people of Israel. Listen, I don't, I don't know how else to say this, but there is something inside of us. It's, it's part of our battle as broken human beings but there is something inside of us that when we are called into scary territory, when we're being called into something new that terrifies us, there is something inside of us that wants to fight to silence that voice that says, go for it. 
where we will actually become so comfortable with our discomfort that we're not willing to risk changing our circumstances. Because maybe it's a little broken and maybe it's a little messed up, but at least I know this. At least it's familiar territory. They wanted to go back to Egypt. But as broken and messed up as their time in Egypt was, it was familiar. And so we can settle for old discomfort. Or maybe we're sick of the discomfort, but maybe our problem has been past pain. We've been so affected by past pain that we will do anything to avoid future pain, even at the very expense of our freedom and victory. One of the things I I have seen in in loving on people, counseling with people over the years, and I've, I've watched this in my own life, one of the most painful things to do when you're trying to move towards healing is that you have to address the old wound. If you don't address the old wound, it will poison you and you won't heal. It will become infected. And so what do you have to do? You have to peel back the old bandage. You have to clean out what's messed up in there. It might even need stitched up. Does that feel good? No. I have a distinct memory as a kid of running in the front yard and stepping on a bee. And I stepped on the bee and its stinger got stuck in the heel of my foot. And I won't recreate the sound here because who knows what it would do to the speaker system, but I freaked out. It was panic mode. And I didn't even know what to do with myself. So I just kind of started running and screaming. I remember my dad had to just kind of scoop me up and take me in the house. And, and I can still see it. I mean, I was probably only seven or eight years old. I can still see it. I'm in the bathroom and my mom and dad are both in there. And my dad is just trying to hold me still while my mom's got the tweezers to get that thing out of there. Guess who I thought the enemy was? Mom and dad. They're the problem and this needs to stop. But mom and dad loved me enough to realize, no, 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 the problem is this stinger that's in your foot and it's gotta come out. And so as much as you wanna fight and scream and cry and as much as it hurts with me having this, this needle and this, these tweezers to get it out, this is necessary pain to bring about healing. I avoided and masked and hid and lied to myself about my pain for far too long. And when I was finally ready to deal with it, I had somebody who looked me in the eye and not only told me what I already shared with you, but said, hey, I got news for you. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. Because you're gonna lean in a little bit and you're gonna feel the pain in a fresh new way that's been there. But it's gotta go. It's gotta be eradicated. There's opportunity on the other side of it if you'll lean in and if you'll trust God to do what only he can do. He is the master physician. He's the master at healing us. Let's not become so comfortable with our discomfort that we aren't willing to change. Let's not be so afraid of past pain that we're unwilling to experience 
future pain in order to see victory and healing and wholeness on the other side. That's what God has for us. One last thing I want y'all to see before we wrap this up this morning. Um, The next passage of scripture is, is this conversation, this dialogue between God and Moses and Moses appeals to God on behalf of the people he knows. God's furious. Like I'm, like this whole thing, this whole plan was to bring y'all to this moment to step into this beautiful territory I have. And you wanna kill your leaders and go back to Egypt. And God's furious. And so Moses and God have this dialogue and Moses appeals to God's character. And he says, you're a, a good, loving, steadfast God who brings mercy. Will you forgive these people? And so God responds, verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice. None of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. Skip into verse 25. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the sea. God pardons them, but he tells them you're gonna live with the consequences of your decision. We are all going to face wilderness experiences that require endurance and test our faith. God does not intend for us to live there. But there was a pattern of behavior. God said, you've tested me these 10 times. His judgment wasn't just about this moment. He's saying over and over and over again, I've been showing up faithful in your life and I'm just asking you in the midst, even of your wilderness experience, see me there. See me there providing for you, caring for you, seeing you through it. And I'm moving you towards something. I'm moving you towards a new space, new territory. Hang in there and endure with me. But if, if we won't allow our faith to grow in the wilderness, we won't have the kind of courageous faith that can take new territory. And so a wilderness season becomes a way of life and we get stuck. And we get stuck and we stay somewhere far longer than God ever intended us to do. He calls us to courageous faith. I'm thankful for this one little verse I just skipped. Verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully and I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. We live in a world of people who shrink back in fear. And the voices all around us would say, what you're believing for is too good to be true. You stay put where you are because it'll make me feel better about staying put where I am. It takes courage to be one of the few like Caleb and Joshua who say, enough is enough, I'm going forward. And man, I hope to God some of you are coming with me, but I'm going forward. And what happened in Caleb's life as a result, 
him and his descendants experienced the benefits of God's promises because he had a different spirit about him. Because Caleb had courageous faith. He saw reality and saw God in the midst of that reality. He saw the opportunity and and trusted it, believed that God had good things on the other side of the difficulty. And ultimately, his anchor was that he trusted God for victory. I pray that that kind of faith will be developed in us. That's who our God is. Will we trust him? Let's pray. God, we're reflecting back on an old ancient story about a group of people living in a wilderness. But Jesus, over and over again, as we've seen, this is a reflection of a larger thing that we all face. God, we all need to receive freedom from the tyranny and slavery of running our own lives apart from you. God, we've all experienced the effect of sin in our life that cripples us and the wounds we've received from the sins of others. But Jesus, your heart is to bring healing and wholeness and victory. God, we're thankful for your pardon that shows up over and over again when we blow it, when we're unfaithful. Thank you for that. God, we see it in this story. But Lord, we don't want to settle for wilderness living. God, would you develop in us courageous faith that's willing to face reality but see you there, that recognizes opportunity if we're willing to face the obstacles in front of us that you have victory for us on the other side. God, I'm believing for healed marriages. God, I'm believing for physical healing. Lord, I'm believing for sin and addiction to be broken in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm I'm believing for people to step into destinies that you have for us. God, things you've called us to in life. Sharing your grace, your love with a world in need. Being the people you've called us to be. God, I I know there's different stories all over this room. But Lord, I'm praying that we would face the reality of what you're calling us to and see you in it. That we'd be honest about the obstacles that are there, but we'd have the courage to see past those obstacles to the awesome opportunity in front of us. And Lord, that we would have a sense, a different spirit in us like Caleb that courageously trusts that you're for us and that you bring about the victory. God, we need you. We love you. We trust you. Lord, would you meet us right where we are today? And may we be willing to go forward with you hand in hand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.